Cosmos Science. News, magazine, podcasts, video and features. Alcohol. Whether it's a glass of wine with dinner, a beer with friends or a night out on the town, for many of us, it's there. Humans have been drinking alcoholic beverages for at least 8,000 years. But whether it's going too hard at a party or the longer-term effects of regular drinking, a growing pile of evidence suggests this substance is doing harm to our bodies and minds. My name is Petra Stock, and in this episode of Debunks, we are asking the question, is there a safe level of alcohol you can drink? Alcohol is obviously an important topic from a health perspective, but it's not. people don't drink just for health reasons. Like People drink because it's fun, because it tastes delicious. That's Dr Michael Livingston, a researcher based at La Trobe University's Centre for Alcohol Policy Research. We do all kinds of things that are unhealthy, and I think those trade-offs are much more murky. It's, it's kind of easy to think about things in a pure risk-benefit calculation from a health perspective, but how you weigh off like having fun versus risk of cancer is, is much harder. So I... Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated issue socially, uh, even if it's becoming clearer kind of epidemiologically. While some of the things we've talked about this series, like vaping, are relatively recent vices, alcohol has been part of many human societies for thousands of years. It's something that consumed for millennia for its intoxicating effects and its, and its various, you know, flavour profiles and it cuts across everything it's it's a it's a fascinating substance because it it's used for so many things it's used for taste it's used for celebration it's used for mourning it's got this huge history it's been banned it's been advocated for it's yeah it's a it's a fascinating topic but the way we drink now is not necessarily the way humans have consumed alcohol in the past what drives people to have a glass of wine after work or a beer in the pub with friends I think part of that is very much that we grow up in a culture normally for Australians where alcohol is there at so many points throughout their life. This is Dr Liz Temple. She's an associate professor in psychology from the University of New England. So there are cultural groups or religious groups where alcohol is not the thing and those people don't tend to. But for most Australians, you grow up in a situation where alcohol is in the home, it's consumed with some level of regularity and certainly in any sort of celebratory or social event, alcohol is there. So it's, it's normal. People don't question why they drink, they question why not to drink. This makes sense. It's so ingrained in our culture that even the words we use to drink don't need to include any indication that it's alcohol. We just know. But we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Before we can get a little deeper into the bottle of knowledge, we need to know what alcohol actually is. What's the science? So alcohol is a chemical compound known as ethanol. It's made up of two carbon, six hydrogen and one oxygen atom. The ethanol molecule isn't digested like food in the body. Instead, it's absorbed into the bloodstream through the stomach and small intestine, affecting the brain and the body. Alcohol also acts as a drug. It is classed as a sedative or depressant and a mild anaesthetic. Being a depressant doesn't necessarily mean it makes you sad. Alcohol blocks the messages that travel between your brain and body, 
making you feel more relaxed and less inhibited. This disruption in the brain's communication pathways can change mood and behaviour, as well as making it harder to think clearly and control your movements. Alcohol is believed to also activate pleasure or reward centres in the brain. It triggers neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. But unfortunately, it's not always happy-go-lucky with alcohol. It's obviously something that, that works well with human biology at some level. We do get different effects from it. And people then come to anticipate those effects and enjoy those effects. But there are differences in how people do drink. And we know that some people, alcohol is very much something they use to enhance a social event. So it makes them feel like they're having a bit more fun. They're a little bit less inhibited, which they like. For other people, though, the drinking can, when we look at more problematic use of alcohol, it often is when someone's coming off a base of not feeling so good. So they're drinking to, you know, numb feelings, so maybe feelings of anxiety or depression. And so those people drink very differently from people who are drinking more in that social space. I'm sure many would have reached for the booze after a stressful day at work or a difficult breakup. And some people drank more regularly during the COVID-19 lockdowns. But if consumption becomes a habit, there are worse effects to worry about. You drink more to get the same effect. So over time, if someone drinks regularly, they'll find that one drink doesn't do what it used to do. Maybe five drinks stops doing what it used to do. So we do see that impact. We also see when people who've been drinking in that sort of very regular way, they stop drinking. So they've been drinking every day to a fairly high level, then they stop they're going to get withdrawal effects. So those are two of the really key ones we see with any addictive type of substance. But this is only at one end of the spectrum. There's plenty of other things researchers like Michael worry about. So what are some of the other negative effects associated with alcohol? It's kind of wildly diverse from from things like these acute outcomes in the moment from intoxication where we're talking about accidents and falls, traffic, assaults, those kinds of things poisoning in a situation where you drink a a really large amount Uh, through these kind of more insidious long-term effects in the kind of classic version that people think of the kind of alcohol dependence and alcoholism where where someone's you know life is affected by their need to drink and their intoxication but also things that have taken us a long time to realize not so obvious things like small increases in risks for cancer and heart disease and obviously liver disease is, is a substantial one so there's a kind of broad suite dozens of conditions that are linked causally to alcohol in, in the epidemiology now the world health organization estimated in 2016 that 2.3 billion people drink alcohol globally in the same year 3 million deaths resulted from harmful use of alcohol about 5.3% of total deaths According to the National Alcohol and Drug Knowledge Base, about 40% of Australians 14 years and over drink alcohol at least once a week. About 5% drink daily and 23% don't drink at all. It seems that what for many Australians is a favourite pastime can be deadly. In Australia, alcohol kills between 5,000 and 6,000 people a year roughly is is our best estimate. from memory, roughly half of that is the kind of chronic condition stuff. The, the, our estimates of, you know, the, the 8% of breast cancers we think are alcohol-related, the, the, the substantial proportion of liver disease and liver cancer, the, the heart disease effects and so forth. It ranks about fifth or sixth 
in terms of risk factors for the Australian burden of disease. Are kind of, we look at all these different, you know, smoking, lack of exercise, pollution, all these different possible risk factors, and alcohol is one of the highest contributors to, to overall poor health in the country. More after this. Welcome back. Okay, now we've gotten the basics out of the way, it's time to ask the all-important burning question, how much is too much? Is there an acceptable limit? I was on the NHMRC expert committee that tried to set the low-risk drinking guidelines for Australia, and there is reasonably good evidence that at a small, low level of consumption, alcohol has some benefits for things like heart disease. So the, the, the task of setting these guidelines is about kind of trading off what we think are the realistic benefits versus the negative costs. And as we've learned more and more about the impacts of alcohol, guidelines that have been set in Australia and elsewhere have come down and down and down because we've got much better sense of the risk. At around 10 standard drinks per week, which is where the guidelines ended up, you've got a one in 100 chance across your lifetime of dying of an alcohol-related condition. And that that was what we took as kind of a, an acceptable risk. And that's incorporating already the, the benefits. That's trading the benefits off as well. So around around 10 a, 10 a week or less is probably not doing you a heap of damage and probably, you know, at some point, you know, I think at four or five, you're probably balancing out the benefits and, and costs perfectly. So more and more research is coming out suggesting that an alcohol-free lifestyle is probably the way to go for a longer, healthier life. Um, I don't think people should be panicking about their consumption if it's at, at reasonably moderate levels because I, I don't think the health risks are substantial at, at, say, 10 drinks a week or less. But I think probably if you're trying to optimise your health, then, then not drinking and finding other ways to make sure your heart's in good nick by exercise or, or diet. There is certainly an argument for it for, for not drinking at all. Why does alcohol do so much damage to our bodies? Well, I mean, basically alcohol is a poison in your body and any amount that you have will affect your body in some way. This is Dr Nicole Lee, an adjunct professor at the National Drug Research Institute. But for most people, you just have a small amount, your body can cope with it, it can process it out of your system. And if you have enough of a break, like more than a day or two, then your body will mostly recover. But if you're drinking lots or drinking very frequently, your body has to work really, really hard to process it. And that's when it's much more likely that you'll be doing yourself some damage. And sometimes that damage is permanent. At what point do we need to consider stepping in and saying that an individual is drinking too much? There's an argument for people who are constantly, regularly drinking over those guidelines to reduce their drinking to under those guidelines. But otherwise, I think there's not an amount because alcohol affects people differently. So the, I usually tell people that when it's starting to impact on your life in unhelpful ways, that's a sign that you need to look at your drinking. So if you know people are complaining about your drinking or you're arguing with your partner a lot more or you're skipping work because you've got a hangover or worse, then, yeah, that's a time to have a look at modifying your drinking and maybe, yeah, writing it in a bit. Okay, so if it's affecting you or those around you or you just want to drink less, it's probably a good idea. If this is resonating with you, what's the best way to quit or slow down? The first easy thing to do is to monitor your drinking. So lots of people who drink a lot don't mindfully drink. So they don't 
they don't know how much they're drinking. They just kind of keep drinking until they they don't want it anymore, which is often after a lot of drinks. So if you count your drinks or set a limit or set a, a weekly spend or just somehow monitor or be conscious of how much you're drinking, that can go a long way to help people to reduce their consumption. The other thing to do if you want to quit or you want to make changes to do that really deliberately. So you set a date. I say, well, uh, I know I'm going to a party on Saturday, so I won't do it Saturday. But from Sunday onwards, I'm going to uh, only drink four drinks on Monday, Wednesday and Friday or whatever. So you've got a bit of a plan that you can, can stick to and definitely a support network is really important. Most people find saying it out loud to someone, that is a bit of accountability. It's also worth saying that humans are not all the same. Different people will gain different things from quitting or reducing their intake. You've got a whole person. So each person does a whole lot of other things in their life, which may or may not be contributing to that sort of disease or not contributing, depending on what they do. So your diet, exercise, sleep, stress levels, also, and genetic variants. That's psychologist Liz Temple again. So government sets guidelines. They're, they've set a line where they say this is a reasonable level of risk to, they do say very clearly that having no alcohol is the best option because then you have no alcohol-related risk. But I think at some level it doesn't necessarily make it easy then when you're trying to translate that into what your actual life is because our own experience of alcohol use or what we, we see other people doing, we actually then come up with our own judgments about what we think is safe. If you are a heavy drinker, you're also more likely to have mental health problems like anxiety or depression. But it is also a bit of a chicken and egg problem. Does the alcohol cause the mental health issues or are you more likely to drink if you have anxiety, stress or depression? But despite all of this evidence, there's a lot of confusion out there too. Even our experts can't really agree if a small amount of alcohol is okay or not. Can I have a glass of beer on the weekend or a glass of bubbly to celebrate? Yeah, I think that there is a, like that idea of having a glass or two of wine a day for your health is still quite pervasive. And my understanding of that is, you know, unless you're a woman over 75 having half a drink a day, the benefits of your consumption are being outweighed by the risk. This is Dr. Sarah Callanan, also from the Centre for Alcohol Policy Research. I think any good science is self-correcting. And I think there's, you know, obviously if, you know, in one point of time, the science is pointing in a certain direction, there's a sort of, you know, moral imperative to share that information. But it's also important that we don't just stick to our guns at any one point in time. And if better methodologies or anything else comes along that changes that orthodoxy, then that needs to be made public as well. We know that people who, like in our culture, tend to drink when they socialise. If you're having a meal with other people and you're having a good time, we also know that the advantages of that, you've got really good social outcomes for that. So psychologically it's good. You're probably more relaxed. You're having a laugh. You know, there's a lot of stress relief happening. Stress is one of the worst things for our bodies. So it may not be the alcohol as much as the situation in which it's been drunk. So did we answer our question? No alcohol is best. If you are going to drink, our experts suggest staying below 10 standard drinks a week, keeping in mind that a glass of alcohol at a pub or restaurant, or even at home for that matter, 
might contain more than one standard drink and have some alcohol-free days. So that was our deep dive into alcohol and the science behind what this fascinating chemical might be doing to our minds and bodies. This episode was part four and the final of our series on vices. In the next series, Cosmos journalist Jacinta Bowler will be staring at all things screens, from video games to social media. There's plenty of myths to debunk. That series will begin next week, so keep an ear out. Debunks is a podcast made in the Cosmos newsroom. This episode was produced by Evram Yazgan, edited by Andrew Wyrell, and hosted by me, Petra Stock. The Royal Institution of Australia is on Ghana land in South Australia. And if you want more science, check out our website at cosmosmagazine.com. Music.